I have. I'm so concussed. I can't even tell you. So, I mean, why don't we just start with a concussion? How the how the fuck did you get a concussion? It's the dumbest thing. Um, so I went over to this girl I'm hanging out with, and her dog really likes me. Like, is super excited to see me. So, I was really exhausted from the day. It was a really long day. I'd been up since five a.m. So I just dove into bed, and the dog from a full sprint dove as well. And basically we bonked heads in midair. Um, but we hit each other's heads so hard that the dog spun out and I got launched off the bed. I did the same thing the first month I had Latte. He was, uh, well, not diving into bed. Like he was under, I was over him, you know, like kind of like playing with him like I was a dog. But yeah. obviously I'm bigger than him. So he's like standing underneath me and I'm just kind of playing around with him. And... I bent my head down, like, well, more than bent. I, I dipped my head down pretty fast, right? And he was pushing up with all his might. Oh, man. And he cracked me. You, you might remember when I, I was talking about sore eye socket. Oh, yeah. He cracked me right in the eye socket. Ooh, he cracked you in the face? Oof. Oh, yeah. That's like, right in the socket. So I was a little, I was a little punch drunk for about four days. Yeah, no, I have, I have a knot on my head. And the unfortunate thing is I've got... You know, of course, life doesn't slow down. So I still had to go to work, you know, and it's like the busiest week of my work life. And then I also have to drive to LA tomorrow tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. And I feel loopy already. So I don't know how that's going to go. Yeah, that's not a good combination of things. It's not, it's not a great combination. But I mean, I don't really have a choice. Might want to look and see if you can get a cheap flight. Yeah, I thought about it. But then I wouldn't have a car. And I also need to stop by somewhere on the way back. Um, so it just doesn't make sense to, I mean, I would love to, don't get me wrong, but I know it's, it's probably not the safest thing to do, but I, I've considered as many options as I could. And I don't think that there's any real way, like I can't afford to go down there, rent a car, drive it all the way back up here. Cause I still need to stop in Monterey anyway, on the way back. And that's, it's just not an ideal situation for many reasons. <laughs> I think as long as you're, you're not lightheaded or you haven't lost consciousness, you'd be okay driving. Yeah, I haven't lost consciousness, and I, I'm basically I just have this unending headache, um, and that's as bad as it's gotten. So, I mean, I've had I've had concussions before, so it's not I'm pretty familiar. And I, not only that, but I've had different grades of concussions. So this one isn't severe, but it's just bad enough to to, to make my days just horrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? One thing you don't want to do is exercise. Oh yeah, no, I'm not doing. I, I'm trying to limit my sensory input as well um, because that's a big thing with concussions now is trying to limit your sen- your sensory input as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, exercise like I'm. You know, I've got a hockey game um, that I've already skipped, um, and then I've I've been kind of trying to take it as easy as I can. Yeah, <sighs> no fun. I have a friend who just got a concussion over the holidays. You know, I shouldn't say just that was like six months ago, but. Uh, She's still concussed. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. Because no she didn't she didn't care for it properly, and she like went running, and Oof. like one of the worst things you can do is just because it exerts the blood flow, the increase in the blood flow, and everything. It just makes that that swelling even worse. 
Yeah, man. Concussions are no joke. I've had a few in my life and I mean, they're, they're incapacitating when they're bad enough. Like, I mean, this one, this one isn't that severe. So, I mean, I'm probably going to feel weird for about a month. Um, but at least it's not bad enough to, to completely incapacitate me. I don't, I don't even know what I would do in my life right now if I was incapacitated for, maybe it's good for me. Who knows? Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely no fun. <laughs> yeah. I've had, oh, I played football when I was younger, so I had, I had a fair share. But I had the worst one I ever had was when I was, I was working in catering, and I was in the back of the van. You know those the you know how those delivery vans the doors they latch in the middle. You mm-hmm. know they, oh yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. And up atop there's that square metal bracket that stands out that the door latches into. I was lifting something and I turned really fast and I clipped that thing right on my temple. Ugh, dude it 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 dropped me like a sack of fucking potatoes. I was on the ground. It's appropriate that there's a siren in the background when I say that. Huh. <laughs> it dropped me. I was there was literally nobody around me, and I mean, I was, I was at a place where the, the closest person was like a mile away. But it dropped me, and I was just laying there for a minute, like, fuck. <laughs> like, I feel like that's a really shitty design. I feel like a lot of people smack their heads on those things. Oh yeah, it's it's terrible. But I mean, what else are you gonna do? It's a van. Yeah, it's true. It's a good point. Yeah, they're like, don't smack your head. <laughs> yeah, try not to try not to knock yourself out. I mean, what's the other option is to either redesign it or put one of those really obnoxious stickers that nobody reads. Yeah, true. Like, do not crack your head here. You know, like the hot coffee. Do not spill this on your crotch. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't take a huge redesign. Just turn it into a magnetic enclosure and make sure that the the magnetic enclosure is attached to the top of the van on the outside, so it doesn't. There's not that knot sticking down because I've I've almost smacked my head on that thing. Of, you know, when I was doing um, event stuff, I would I would often take things out of those vans like chairs or tables or whatever it was. And I've almost smacked my head on those things a couple of times. Yeah, I wonder how many caterers have died. <laughs> That's going to be... I'm sure the company doesn't really have a, an accurate statistic on that. <laughs> I'm trying to find a picture of it. Um, that, would be, that would be great for the new Instagram. Yeah, we have, um, we have an Instagram. Um, it's run by our interns. Our robot uh, Oompa Loompa <laughs> intern. Um, it's not a place to communicate with us. It's just a place for us to put visual images to help you guys understand things from the show. And then whatever ridiculous shit we feel like um, pushing out to be posted. Um, yeah, if I can find that door latch. That's a hard thing to look for, though. Um, I shouldn't be doing it right now, though. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... We are in the middle of a recording, so... We've done weirder things on recording, so... Yeah, oh, I mean, I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't catch that for a second. I turned the video on um, for for Zoom for anyone. You were who, naked. Yeah, I, I was not I wearing clothing. Did I you did, really? I, yeah, but obviously, all I can see is from like your your top of your shoulders up. <laughs> that is full, hilarious. Full no, I, I, I did is, see that. <laughs> it, it's still so hot, especially that we, because we're recording a little bit earlier. Um, it's definitely hotter. Like the sun is basically beaming right into my room right now. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's freaking hot. So I am doing this um, as nature intended. You know, what's so funny about that is I was just thinking, like, you know, one of the you know Patreon ideas I told uh, Tom in the last episode about we I mentioned what you and I had talked about before about having a studio, which we've talked about in an episode. The audience knows about that. And then what Tom and I also talked about was I said, wouldn't it be a crazy idea too? It would be like, how about a, a traveling podcast? Like we had a Winnebago and we just went from city to city and we just podcasted. 
across oh, the that'd country. Be, that'd be sweet. And like eventually if we get to the point where, where we have enough support, we should totally do that. That'd be awesome. I, I would. And you know, you're like, okay, we're in Austin for two weeks and we just, you know, like we podcast our normal podcast, but then we find Austin people to talk sure. to and have on the podcast and then we're doing it live. And it just, it just seems like so much fun. Um, but here's another idea that I had speaking of being naked. <laughs> oh no. We get enough podcast support. It would be great to experiment and find a way to record a podcast live from a swimming pool. Huh. How amazing would that be if we were both just floating in swimming pools right now recording? <laughs> I would be very happy about that. It is so hot in here. I can and we, which is probably not great for the concussion, to be honest with you. Um it's literally like a hundred degrees in here, and I have a fan on. And it's just blowing hot air in my face. I just turned it off uh, right before we started recording, actually, because it's absolutely zero help at all. Yeah, some of them just don't do shit. Ah, let's see. Um, I have a few little topics. Few little. Do I always say that? I say that a lot. Few little. Yep. It's becoming a thing then, I guess. Um. Anyways, (laughs) did you happen to see any of the any of the Apple announcement stuff? Which of which there are an extreme amount. No, I did not. I, this is th- this entire week. I've just been neck deep in work, so I haven't I haven't done much of anything. They're kind of nice, actually. There's way more than I could even begin to touch here, and you know, most of this isn't a tech show, so it's not really our job to talk about that. But one that I thought was one that you and I should at least chat about for a little bit has something, I guess, in in a way connected to our ongoing surveillance capitalism topic. Apple signed in a thing... Oh, signed in. CRA spoiled it. Yeah. <laughs> Apple, Apple is making a thing called sign in with Apple. Kind of like sign in with... Well, not kind of like... Exactly like sign in with Facebook and sign in with Google. Mm. So when you go to websites, you know, you can use those. And their, their pitch is, guess what? We're not tracking any of it. And then they went even further and they said... If when you sign up for these services, maybe you don't want to give them your email address. Well, we'll help you create a fake email address. Oh, cool. And that fake email address, anything sent to that fake email address will forward to your real email address. And then when you you no longer want to use that account anymore and you don't want them to have your email address, tell us and we'll delete the email address. Wow. That's great. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. And I've, I literally, right before we started, I, I saw this thing before and then I didn't read it. And then while I was waiting for you, I was like, oh shit, I'm probably going to bring that title of that article up. And I didn't read it. So then I'll have to say what I said last time was, which wish I read this, blah, blah, blah. But it was, uh, I did read it before we started. Google's login chief would rather you use Apple's sign-in button than keep using passwords. Let me ask you this. Um... So this is a super cynical question, and it's just based on the last year of us talking about surveillance capitalism. Do you believe them? Apple? Yeah. Yeah, because um, if they didn't do it, they would mm-hmm. tank their entire business model. Because Apple's... I was just listening to somebody talk about this the other day. I was thinking this already, and then I heard somebody say it. Apple used to... Their business model used to be, we make really great devices. That's basically it. You know, think different. That's yeah. that's the whole thing. Sure. That's not their business model anymore. They still do that to some extent. Well, I shouldn't say to some extent. Is depending on person people's opinions, of course. But 
their business model is far more entrenched in privacy now than it is in we make these neat devices. Huh. Which if you're going with their, their old vision of think different, that's very different. Exactly. So, I mean, you think about it, they, you know, like you think about all the things they say, you're like, oh, Siri, yeah, sure. They know Siri is not as smart as Google Assistant and it's not as smart as uh, Alexa, but it doesn't collect anything and they don't store any of the data. And that's huge. And they're like, well, that's, that's, are you, if you're the kind of person that's willing to make a small, you know, uh, effectivity um, sacrifice for privacy, then we're the company for you. Mm. So if they fuck this up and they're lying, they're done. Yeah, that's true. All of those people that use Apple because they feel like their stuff is more secure will not use them anymore. Yeah, good point. So it's it's in their vested interest. And I don't think Tim Cook is a moron. Yeah, he's he's a lot of things, but he's not a moron. Yeah. So I I trust them. Um, I don't trust them implicitly. Like I think they're the best... You know, that, that they do everything right, you know. And obviously, as a big company, there are things that they do that I'm sure I don't agree with. But as far as when it comes to this privacy thing, yeah, I trust them on this. Mm. And if my only other options are Google and Facebook, I really, really trust them. Sure. That's a good <laughs> point. I don't trust those companies as far as I can throw them. Yeah, and they've done absolutely zero, especially in the last year or two, to prove otherwise, too. They're not even shy about it anymore. No, and the, and then they try to... Both of them realizing... See, people made fun of Apple when Apple focused on, started focusing on privacy because of, oh, well, yeah, sure, you guys focus on privacy, but Siri doesn't work as well. And all this other shit, you know, like your predictive, your predictive text algorithms don't work as well. And... Google and, and Facebook didn't say shit about privacy, right? They just were, yep. and you know they're pumping money in, money into the all these you know far right groups that uh, advocate against regulation of those things because they need that for their business models, and then they get busted. Yep, over and over again, small little privacy scandals, and then obviously huge ones too. And so both of them at their, I don't remember what the hell they're conferences are called e8 g8 uh, whatever the fuck code names they use both of them oh we're really focused on privacy this year because right. they both they realized fuck apple had the right fucking hook and it doesn't matter what they say they can promise privacy to people but we know their business models they can't unless they're going to completely change the entire business model for their company they can't care about your privacy they, they literally can't yeah. Because they won't make money. Sure. So, I mean, you know, like uh, tracking you across, like what we talked about that one time with the um, with the apps that were sending reports back, you know, DoorDash and Spotify, and all these shitbag, um, Nike, all these shitbag apps that were kicking back stuff. They were kicking it back to Google and Facebook. So those guys are tracking what everybody's doing. So it's like, oh, we're not collecting your privacy. Yeah. No, you're paying other people. Yeah, like that now. That's the same fucking thing. Yeah, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. So fuck both of you. <laughs> I I can't. That's. I feel so awful for people who got suckered into buying Android phones, because they are collecting everything on that phone about you, everything. And if you don't believe me, if you're listening, and you don't believe me. 
listen to, to Live and Die in LA, the podcast, all the way through, um, including the new bonus episode where they talk about a different case. And then watch a couple Dateline episodes from the last couple months. Almost every single one of those, they're able to track someone's exact location down to the foot because why? They have their Google location data. Mm. They literally have people down to the foot of where they are at any minute in a way that you can't from cell phone signals. I wonder I wonder how much worse that is if you buy an actual Google phone. That's what I'm saying. Those are Google phones. No, I mean like the, you can actually buy a Google Pixel now, not just a, not just an Android OS device, but like a full-on... I'm not sure it makes much of a difference because it's the operating system, not the hardware. Yeah, true. You know, it's the, it's the operating, it's the underlying code that's reporting back all of the data. Ah, that is horrifying. It's it's not the it's not the hardware. Sure, sure. So, it's terrifying, and I mean, the the one thing that we have never ever mentioned in this is people think that this is impossible, but hacking Google and hacking Facebook, it's not impossible. It's going to happen. Impossible if it's made by humans, it can be broke by humans. I live by that. It's going to happen one day. It's, sure. It happened to Yahoo. It happened to fucking everyone. Experian. Um, all these huge companies that people put trust in. That Oh, that could never happen. It did. It, it totally did. And it's going to happen. And if they have that information, that much information on you. you know, It's scary to know that a, something on the dark web has your email address. Mm-hmm. I've got that email before. It didn't say they had my password, but it said it had my email address. That's scary. Imagine if it had all of your Google data. Jeez. Think about that. I know where you are every day. I know what you do. I know what apps you open. I know what apps you open at what time. I know what you eat. Like, I, I have all of your photos, every single photo you've ever taken. That's terrifying. Well, and access to all of your social media as well. Um, all of the people on your social media, how you interact with them, where you like when you accept your email an invite, address. yeah, your email address, your, your every text your, message, your phone number pin, like when you you have pins for this kind of stuff. Uh, it's just everything. And, oh, and everything that you've used sign in for Google for that have access to all of those accounts too. So the weird irony of that is that a lot of the a lot of the stuff that you were forced to give was given under the guise of protection or security, and it does the exact opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing but vulnerability. Yeah, it just creates vulnerability. And it, it's 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 that cycle of dispossession, right? They convinced people of these things that aren't true. Sure, but we know deep down inside, the more that you give, the more vulnerable you are. Yeah, it's just logical. If I give you one piece of paper of, you know, like a, a from, from my accounting, you have a fair amount of information that you could do something dangerous to. Sure. The more pages of that I give you, the more dangerous you are. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's frightening. So I'm kudos to, I just said kudos. Fuck. Ugh. That felt gross. I felt like I was like a, a douche, <laughs> douchebag in a movie from 1984. Kudos. Nice. I don't want to use props either. Credit to credit to Apple for for taking the lead on that and and taking the industry in a different direction. Sure. Because eventually we have to get you know we have to get real on this shit. The more the more places we sign into one thing, it seems like a really safe thing, but you know, like the more places you sign in with something, 
the more vulnerable you are. But if you use this and you're using a different email address for every one of them, at least you can mitigate that danger. You know, the the more impressive part about that too is, and and sure, like Apple has been the front runner on a lot of things that are similar to this, but sacrificing is sacrificing efficiency and functionality of an app or device in order to maintain a user's privacy as a way of maintaining a business model is actually really brave of them. And I, I really respect that. Well, and you know the thing about it is there are so many unreal expectations for the speed with which things are developed. Sure. To where companies like Amazon, companies like Google, companies like Facebook, these companies that are using people's data to further their machine learning at a rate that they probably wouldn't be able... Not probably. They definitely wouldn't be able to do without all of it, right? Sure. So they're moving at this breakneck speed. Apple's going to get there. They're just going to get there a lot slower. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're, you're sacrificing the ability for these things forever. You're just taking life in you know, the middle lane of traffic. You're not in the mm-hmm. slow lane. The slow lane would be like not having anything to do with any of it. Sure. But you're not in the fast lane. But you're in the right lane. <laughs> yeah, you're in the lane where you're less likely to get into an accident. Sure. So, yeah, slow lane, you'll get into an accident because people want to merge with you. Fast lane, because that's where a lot of the assholes like to be. The ones who zoom left and right, you know, cutting between cars. Sure. That middle lane, statistically the safest. And now we're talking about traffic. Welcome to random, 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 random. Yeah, speaking of traffic, holy crap, man. It took me two and a half hours to get to Monterey from San Jose the other day. Jesus. I know. It was in the morning. It was during rush hour. I mean, I didn't really have a choice on when I had when I could leave either. So it's it, just crappy on every possible level. That's audiobook time. Yeah. Um, I actually ended up uh, listening, re-listening to... Um, one of my my favorite just fun audiobooks, which is uh, The Martian. I actually really really like that audiobook. I don't like the book as much, but in audio form, the the the. So that's an interesting thing too. Discovering that there are some books I like much better in audio form than I do in actual reading form. Yeah, or once you get into audiobooks enough, like knowing the names of of like narrators, sure. Like, oh, this guy reads. This guy reads really well. Mm-hmm. I like this guy. Yeah, because some of them is very, very welcome to the audible edition of Jane Austen's. You know, it's usually a woman who reads Jane Austen, but you get my point. Yeah. That highfalutin, like I'm reading a book language. Yeah, and then sure. there's the people where you're like, oh, this guy, this guy does voices really well. I sure. like it. That's it's like I was telling you before, like Karen Gillian doing um, A Secret Garden. Mm. Like, oh, she does some voices. I like this. This is good. She goes down low for some of them. It's real nice. There's a the guy that was reading, I don't remember who, uh, but it, Lord of the Rings. And I was like, Meh. yeah, you kind of have to do voices to do Lord of the Rings. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. If you're narrating it properly. Yeah, especially, or The Hobbit. That's got to be the hardest book to do an audio version of because you've got how many, how many of them? They're all, all, dwar- uh, they're all dwarves. They're all, I mean, but you got to find a different dwarf voice for like, what is it, like 12 of them? Something like that. 
I forget the I forget the guy who did um, who who narrated the Harry Potter series, but I had those on audiobook when I was driving back and forth from LA quite a bit. But having to do a bunch of kids' voices as an old man is really interesting. Like, I mean, there's some some there are some audiobook readers out there that would we call them narrators? Is that appropriate? Yeah, why not? Um, let's call them narrators. Um, but there are some that are just masterful at it. It's it's just a different breed of of audio recording, and it's just unbelievable. Yeah, they're they're actors, really. Yeah, absolutely. You know the the thing that always drives me nuts. And some people do it well, but is when the men try to do the women's voices and oh, like this, and I'm like, yeah. oh. what is that? Like a like a a very very small mouse? That's not a woman. Yeah, <laughs> just do it as a woman's voice and just soften your soften your your syllabants a little bit and it sounds like a woman you know it doesn't sound like a woman but it sounds more like a woman than this does it's like a woman's voice if an alien was just if someone described an alien voice to a woman and they tried to reproduce it yeah i wouldn't even do this voice for a female muppet (laughs) (laughs) like the muppets even have better voices than that come on now I really, I really, you remember when the Muppets used to do those really, um, like Muppets in Space? Uh, there's a couple of them out there. But I haven't seen a Muppet parody of something in a really long time, and I would really like to. Like an Avengers Muppet parody would be really good. Oh, that would be great. Oh, it'd be amazing. But keep it just as serious, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Gonzo as Thor, except oh. instead of a metal winged helmet, he has a chicken on his head. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, just so many options. I I would like to see. I would like to see that done at some point. You know, Kermit would be Captain America, of course. What I was don't know the why. What was the last um, Muppet movie? Um, I think it was the one with Jason Segel, right? Well, yeah, I think so. Or was it? Or was um, what's his name? Ricky Gervais. Did he? Was that the same movie, or did they do a movie after that? I believe that is the same movie. Okay. They did a TV show for a little while too. Another TV show. Oh, I didn't even know that. I it was like a, it was like an almost like the office. Mm. It was called, I think it was called Muppets without the. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you know what I want to talk to you about? Mm. Something we, for everybody who listened last week, no, number one, if you made it through uh, the political conversation, thank you, thanks for sticking around. Um, because for those of you who didn't stick around past that, you. <laughs> Probably one of my favorite parts of an episode that we've had in a long time, which was that conversation on, on authenticity. Oh, sure. I think that that, that, that was probably the strong, strongest point of the episode for me where I was like, oh, man, this is, this is a good conversation. All of it was good, but like that part was just gold for me. Wow, big one. I was, I was holding that one back for like six words. Hey, um, Chad, before you continue... Um... Can I have to pee really bad for some reason? Can I go do that real quick? Sure, but I'm leaving you asking. <laughs> Bring it back. Hold on. Do, 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 oh my God, Chad. Jesus, do, I'll be back. Do, 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 do. So we're back. We're a professional show here, guys. I'm watching uh, Bohemian Rhapsody done by the Muppets right now. What? Yeah, I'll send it to you. Yeah, you got to post that one. That's amazing. I'll pause it right now. I can get back to that later. Um, <laughs> now I have the Muppet song I'm at. Yeah. 
I love that. What was that like the seventies seventies Muppet Show? I really want to do a modern cover of that. Like oh, I think I'm, I think I, I think I may do that. Yeah, you should do it for your Patreon. What's it? And I want to do like modern covers of all the Kermit songs too. It's not easy being green. See, that's all Patreon type shit you could be doing. Yeah, and I know. Could be I know. Supporting you in that. I know. If I if I were home, I don't think you understand, Chad. I've been home for like a literally to sleep this week. <laughs> yes, but if, if people were paying you, you'd have a reason to do it. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. You have to create the opportunity to be supported before people will support you. Yeah. They're not going to yeah. just dive and say, I'll do it now. You know what I think is really strange too in the long run um, for all of our Patreons is I think they're going to... We have such different things that we want to do that people will support us for entirely different reasons. Right. That's what. That's one of the reasons... That I was saying that, that you know at first I know you were worried that you know splitting it up like that was going to be weird, but I think it's going to be awesome because when you do it as a group, you end up kind of mixing things. You don't get as much variety as you think that you would. Mm-hmm. It ends up becoming more white bread because it's like oh here's one thing from this person, one thing, but everybody plays it safe because you don't want to be the guy that's putting uh, the guy or the girl that's putting out the content that is risky when everybody else is doing stuff that isn't. But if it's your own, you got nobody to report to. So you can do whatever the fuck you want. So you're going to take more risks if you dive into it. Which is super weird. I never thought that my thing would be music. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've loved music my entire life and I've always done it. But it's one of the few things that I've done that I've actually treated like a hobby. You know what I mean? Right. And and that's really strange for me. Like photography, I never treated as a hobby. Writing, I never treated as a hobby. I took all those things pretty seriously. And I mean, music, to some extent, I've, all, I've taken it pretty seriously, but nothing like I am now. Like, I mean, this is this is very different. Yeah, that's why you should dive and take that. You know, it's like what I was saying about those, about books. You know, it's like, well, I'm into this right now or TV shows. Like, just dive at that full, you know, like research that that thing that you just read about as much as you can right now. Because when you get back to that note later, you might not care as much. You're sure. like, this is your time for music. Maybe in five years, it won't be. So now's your time to dive. Yeah, sure. And that's that, that going back to where we were before you had to um, relieve yourself. Uh, the <laughs> authenticity thing. First of all, if you guys listen to these episodes and you don't listen to the end, you're making a big mistake because the beginnings of these shows are they're good, but they're a little rough. It takes a little bit for us to get into our groove. And it isn't, I think, uh, the end of almost every episode, the conversations that we have are usually the strongest. Um, would you say so? Yeah, but you know what the stark irony is going to be? Like the end of this episode is going to suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to do like Bob Dylan's uh, self-portrait album. We're going we're gonna to say we're doing that on purpose. Totally. Or, or half of Bob Dylan's actual career. Yeah. Um, so authenticity, right? We, we talked about this. like, um, And we're not going to reiterate that because just go listen to two episodes ago. But what this idea of us becoming more authentically ourselves, you know, not only the way that we are on the show, but you know, it plays into the Patreon thing and it plays into um, all of these other things in our lives. But those being the things that pertain to the people listening, and I've been thinking like the the last week I've been just kind of um, because of the heat I haven't been able to go for as many long walks with the dog because number one I don't want to kill him I don't want to kill myself it's just been brutally hot um, but 
I have been just kind of sitting and thinking and trying to give myself that same, same kind of headspace that I would. And the weird question to ask yourself is, what does it mean to be more authentically myself? How do I, what are the steps that I go about to be authentically more myself? How do I do that? Did you have that thought process after that conversation? I've actually been having that thought process for about a month and a half. And that conversation just gave me much clearer insights into how to do that. (laughs) Oh, well, please elaborate because you sound like you're many steps ahead of me. So I could use a little, maybe use a little guidelines. Um, It requires a brutality um, about yourself and, and an honesty that you will then desire from your friends. And so I think that's where I am um, with it now is that I'm, I'm asking my friends to be honest about me to me um, and not to pull punches and not to guard my feelings. I mean, don't be a jerk, of course. I mean, don't just tell me that I'm a dickhead or anything like that. But give me reasons as to why certain things that I do could be better um, or who they really see me as. You know what I mean? Um, and if that that vision of who they see me as matches with the vision that I have of myself and what I see myself as. Mm. So the conversations I've been having with with certain friends that know me particularly well have been extraordinarily useful. Um including a few conversations that I've had with my ex actually um, that have given me clear insights into some of the reasons why I wasn't authentically myself when we were together. And that's been, that's been very tough to hear at points, but very useful in its, its, in its connectivity to where I was and where I am now. I think that's a fertile ground that people don't usually dig into is who has better insight than somebody, even if, things ended bad, you know, like who has better insight (laughs) into you than somebody that you've had a relationship with for a long period of time. Yeah. And, and especially like someone who sees you every single day and saw you every single day within that span of time, will have some pretty unique insight into who you are as a person. I mean, don't get me wrong, take it all with a grain of salt and take it all with some emotional objectivity um, in that, you know, their, their view of you is colored by their perception of themselves and their their particular feelings within that moment too, as well. You know, so it's not all them, right? Well, it's same for your friends too. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. No one, no one's going to be able to give you an uncolored perception. That's although why. I, although I will say though that a few of them have been able to, and that's been interesting. Well, I, I would, I don't say that. I, I would argue that that's not possible, but it may just be that you agree with what they said. Um, in in some cases, yes. Um, in other cases, definitely not. But I see that there's a logic in the in-between, um, as in where my perception of a certain thing is is opposite to what their perception of it might be. But the truth is probably lingering somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, the, like, the, the digging for me... See, my, this is interesting because my, my authenticity, digging in my authenticity has very little to do with other people. Mm. Uh, but I mean, I don't... I don't have a ton of people in my life, actively in my life. So that's not really a place for me to look. Your, your, your life is very much rooted in other people. Yeah. And mine, mine is very much the opposite. Mine is very much rooted in myself and um, a small, small group of people. Sure. And a dog. And a dog. Um, <laughs> that's a great name for this episode, actually. A small group of people and a dog. <laughs> Um, so I, what I spent a lot of time thinking about is like, okay, what, what, what things that I do 
or what things that I don't do are things that are like authentically me. And why are those things authentically me? And how can I do those things more me? You know, like uh, like writing. You know, like you know the feeling that when you write something, and you're not being authentic. Oh, sure. You know? You're taking on. It usually happens when you're creating something that you're gonna, you know, other people are gonna read. Um, but there's this feeling where you're like, I'm not, I'm not really fully. This isn't really fully me. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking for ways that you're doing things where you're like, I do that, but am I doing that the way that I do that, or am I just doing that? You know, like for example, the, this Instagram thing, the Instagram idea. Everybody in the world. Not everybody in the world, but everybody for the most part that uses Instagram thinks the same exact way about it. That it's about getting more followers and it's about, you know, people will tell you, oh, it's for keeping up with friends and all this stuff. But they pay attention to how many likes they get on photos. They, they know how many people follow them. Like they're, they're, the, the analytics are part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we're all convinced that that's the way that that thing works. And then that's how we do it. And when I say we, I mean we as in users of a service. But there are other ways to use it. And every once in a while, you'll run across an Instagram account or a Twitter account or a social media account or a website or something that does something completely different than everybody else. Not in the content, but the way that they use it is just completely different. Than everybody else, sure. And I don't, I don't have any specific examples right now, but um, they just they use it, and you're like, like I, actually, I can think of one right now. There was a girl who would type up poems um, on a typewriter and take a picture and put it up, and it was a place for her to publish poetry. Hmm. It wasn't about, and it was literally black text on white background, photograph of a piece of paper. That's it. And that's not even as drastic as some people have been able to find. I just can't remember any of them. But that's a, that's a good example. It's a visual format, but she's using that visual thing to her advantage in a way that most people wouldn't think. Because most people would think visual format, make it look pretty, make it look interesting, make it look bright. And black and white is like the opposite of that. Um, and she's using it not as a visual way to stimulate, but as a way to visually project something. And go ahead. You're going to say something. Sure. I mean, I, I, I fall into that as an artist every once in a while too. Like, I mean, I'm a photographer. Um, and there are times where I don't care about how pretty an image is. I know that sounds really weird. Um, but I definitely find myself trending. You're not trending. That's just, yeah. It's like you and saying kudos. I hate the word trending so much. Um, this shit is just spewed into us and then it oh, comes it's out. Gross. It's it so comes gross. Out at the worst times and we're like, oh, and we're recording it, which yeah. makes it even worse. Yeah. Continue. But the, the, the but the feeling I have is that there are times where the the starkness of the image matters much more than the beauty of the image, um, or the message within the image itself. And so there are there are moments where I, I definitely have a tendency to 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 work more towards black and white than I do in color. Um and I I find my tendency to that being stronger and stronger, especially lately for some reason. Um, I like I like visual starkness. Yeah. And I think that's you digging more into your authenticity. Yeah, it's right? honest. It, there's an honesty to it, sure. And 
what I've been trying to do is not only just find things like that, but also do both of the things we're talking about. Find things that are, that's the way that I like things to be. That's, that's what I'm trying to accomplish there. And then the other thing, like, this isn't the way that people use things, but this is a good way to do this. Sure. Um, which is why we ended up with, with an Instagram again. Because w- what we did before when we had an Instagram was try to use it as an Instagram account. Our Instagram account is not an Instagram account. We're not going to follow anybody. We're not going to reply to anything. We're not going to answer DMs. None of that. We're just going to put up images of things. And most of them will in some way relate to this podcast. And it's just... It's a way to... With the tools that we had without Instagram, we had my Patreon, which doesn't work for putting stuff for the podcast. Because number one, only the people that pay would be able to see it. So it doesn't work for all of our podcast audience. And it's my account. It's not our account. So that's that's weird that they have to go to my account to see something that's for all of us, all three of us, or all four of us, if we want to throw Latte in there. Although technically, he's a subdivision of my account. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that supports me is, a, is supporting Latte. Um, yeah, sure. They will help pay for his food. Um, pretty directly too. Like, I mean, you're pretty much outright supporting the dog. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so that tool's out. Okay. Then what else do we have? Holy Face, fool. Facebook. No, no, no. I mean that we of things oh, that oh, we, oh, we yeah, have. Okay, gotcha. Available gotcha. To us yep, yep. That we we are already using. Um, we have my website, Holy Fool Productions, which technically, you know, like that's what it's transitioned to. It's really just my website where it's like, here's a podcast and. Here's uh here's my writing. Um and here's my Patreon, basically. And I'm like, so that doesn't work. And then we have the Fireside, which is the random badassery website, right? Sure, I can post images on there, but what people don't know about this is in order to post images on there, because it's not really made to do that, I have to take the image, I have to upload it to their server, or I have to upload it as media on my website and get a URL from either one of those. Oh, I didn't know that. And then I have to add the URL to whatever blog post I'm putting up there because it's not really meant to do robust photo sharing. It's really just meant to put up, you know, like here's a longer form explanation of something that we talked about on the podcast. It's more for writing and here's one image to go with that or whatever. So there really wasn't a way to push out images. You know, like when we're talking about this this door latch and you guys are listening and this is an audio format. There's not really a way for us to get across what this is if you have no idea what the fuck it is. Sure. And the easiest way to do that is to have an Instagram. And it's not the way people use Instagram. It's not going to be pretty. (laughs) I mean, if you don't listen to the podcast, there's probably absolutely no reason to follow it. But it's it's finding that tool. So like to me that 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 was a big thing where it's like this is something that the show needs. It's, and that's why, you know, it's like it's, it has nothing to do with you or me or Tom. We're not putting we're not we're not gonna be having conversations and shit on there. It's not gonna be a social place for us. And I hopefully people won't be, you know, like jumping in there like that last episode, blah, 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 because nobody's gonna read that. You know, it'd be you know, it'd be really cool is if it got to the point where people literally listened to the episode and followed along the episode on Instagram. I 
I, I was thinking about that, but I don't know that that's necessarily possible hmm. because I'd have to have all the images up before the episode aired. Which we could do. We could. Yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. It's just a matter of I don't. I don't have the time to do that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> because I get the episodes up in time now, but having to plan all that. What and I don't want to make promises like that. It's not. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not what I want this show to be. I don't want this show to be so like straight laced. Sometimes, you know, if I find that picture of the latch of the door and I remember, I'm going to post it. You listen to this, you check the Instagram in the next couple of days, you'll probably see a picture of it if I find it. If I don't, then it's not going to be there. <laughs> and, you know, or if I'm watching a, a cartoon and there's a funny scene and I want to take a picture of it, there you go. Here's a picture of a cartoon. Or if you, uh, you know, read an album or read an album, that's good. If you read yeah. an album... Um, if you listen to an album and you're like, this is a great album, boom, there's a picture of the album cover. You know, not these long fucking descriptions with hashtags and all this shit. I don't give a fuck if our Instagram is ever popular. It's to enhance this program. That's sure. it. Sure. That's, it's, uh, and that's authenticity. Is it admitting that? It's admitting that, you know, like we're not trying to be popular because, you know, Instagram, our Instagram be popular. And then by making our Instagram popular, then our podcast will be more popular. Fuck all that shit. How about we just service the people that are here now listening and be real and have fun and just fuck around, you know, watch videos of fucking animal doing a drum solo in this Bohemian Rhapsody video. <laughs> <laughs> that to me, that's like more, that's probably a, a side of me that probably hasn't come out in this show a lot is there's, there's a, I don't know how to describe it, but there's a side of me that's like, fuck that. You know what I mean? There's, I guess a rebellious is oh yeah, people, and and anyone who knows you well knows that that's a really strong side of you too. Yeah, then like for example, you know, like our political discussion. Sometimes I say things I don't necessarily believe. Why? Just because I like to fucking kick the nest and see what comes out. Sure. Because, because that's the only way you find out things. You know, like what happens if I kick this can? Oh, fuck! There's cement in here. <laughs> you know, like, well, someone took the time to put cement in a can. I mean, that's impressive on its own. Yeah. And, that, and and that's a really good metaphor for politics in general, but <laughs> sure. kicking a can full of cement. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that that's, that's an interesting question for me. I, I, I know I've been kind of like rambling about Instagram there. If you guys are still around, thank you. Um, uh, so I'm going to throw something at you, Lamb, and I want you to take your time and, and, and talk about this. We talked about what it means to be authentically you in the context of you. What does it mean for you to be authentically you in the context of the show? This is something that was talked about after we hung up last week. And I'm not going to go into telling everything. But you, one thing you said that I'm going um, to repeat is you felt... You're like, I've been kind of... I don't know what word you, you use. I don't want to say... I don't think you said boring. You've been kind of... What you, would you say? You, you were kind of low energy... On the last, um, I subdued. I think is probably the right word. Um, that's what it feels like. I subdued in many ways, actually. I mean, you know me, man. I'm a pretty silly guy. I joke around a lot. I do a lot of voices and accents and all kinds of stuff, and none of that ever comes out on the show. Ever. Um, and that's that's strange. And I'm not sure why. Even it's not that I have some kind of impulse to not do it. I think it's just because of the the format and how we've we've approached it in in, in years past and leading up till now. I've just never. I've never felt 
I don't know, comfort's the wrong word. I, I, it's not that I don't feel comfortable talking to you. It's that I, I feel like I have to curate what I say um, because it's going out to an audience. And mm-hmm. I don't realize that the reason why the audience is here is because I can say what I want. And there's a disconnect for me there. Somehow, some way, I've associated one with the other when it's not valid. And I, I need to slowly break my way out of that somehow, but I'm not sure what the smartest way is to do that um, other than just us continuing to do it and me just reminding myself before every episode, hey, dude, just do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> Who gives exactly. a shit? Bah. Like that. Um, one, one thing that I think is good to keep in mind, is, and, and I wouldn't say that this is something that I've always... Um, known, I would I'd, I'd say this is probably something that's kind of sunk in recently. But the show is more interesting for people to listen to when we're goofier, and not inauthentically goofier, but when we're goofier when we actually feel like it, and we're serious when we feel like it, when we're loose and being real. Because when we're not, that energy comes across too, and the show becomes a little more boring. And I mean, that's a good motivation to be like, wait, so people like this more if I do what I do naturally more? Well, the problem though with me now is that I think that this is natural for the podcast. And so there is I, no natural for the podcast. Oh no, I know that, but there's a mode that I switch into and that's the, the, the toughest thing for me to break. And this is applicable to life in many ways too, is that... I somehow created a persona for myself within the scope of the, the the podcast that has just basically stayed that way since the very beginning. Like I've always been like this on, on the podcast and I'm not like this in real life. Right. At, well, at least not completely like this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a completely different person or anything crazy like that, but I definitely am a much more subdued version of what I normally am. And that's really weird for me. Right. Like a good example for anybody that's listened to the show for more than one episode, something that Lamb does a lot on the show that he doesn't, you do this in real life, but nowhere near as much as you do on the show, is answer with, sure. Oh, I never do that in real life. You, you, like there's, and it took me, actually, I'll be honest with you right now. Like it took me a long time to get used to that because I'd be tossing a ball at you like, okay, here's your response. It's your time to respond. Like, come back at me. And you go, sure. And I'm like, you know, it's like, fuck, that tennis ball came back at me. Now I have to think of something on the spot. Because I'm like, oh, he he doesn't think anything about that, and I just you just didn't have anything to say. You know, you know, it's hilarious about that though is that I think it's because I don't, I can't read context. I mean, you're right in saying that my life is 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 pretty much entrenched in other people because so much of my communication style and my communication in general relies on reactions from other people, and I can't see your face. And another reason why having a live studio would be the best thing. That in the would world. be amazing. I think that would completely change the nature of the show. I, whatever we think the show is now, it will be enhanced by a thousand percent if we're in the same room. Oh, it'd be so much looser. I mean, it, we'd have to deal with all the the bullshit of you know like scheduling and stuff like that. But I feel like, you know, like I'm I'm going to share something with you, and I'm going to share something with the. I'm going to be as authentic as possible right now. I'm going to tell tell the audience something and use something that I never share with anyone and that I've never shared with anyone. So I have um, recently, I've become very, very interested in architecture. I've always had a, a middling interest in architecture, but lately I'm just completely just enraptured in it. And when I'm doing these long walks, 
Um, that's a lot of what I'm thinking about. I'm looking at houses and I'm just kind of thinking about the houses. Like, oh, that's an interesting, oh, that's an interesting roof line right there. Why'd they do that? And it's not because I have any intention, you know, like you talked about um, music being something you did purely as a hobby. That's I, I'm I'm 41 years old. The chances of me going to school to become an architect, pretty fucking slim. <laughs> so it's it's just this hobby. And, and I wouldn't want to work in CAD and all that because the side of architecture that fascinated me was when they used to draw on draft tables. Oh, sure. So th- those days are past. People don't do that shit anymore for the most part. Um, so it's just this passing thing. But because you're looking at houses, you start finding houses that you're fond of. Like, I like this house. Or there are parts of houses, you know, like... So it's like you're collecting, you know, like, I like what they did with this driveway. If I had a place and I was designing, I would do that with the driveway. Not the rest of the house, just the driveway. So, But you start finding these houses and there's this house not too far from me that is a Victorian house. It's this fantastic Victorian house. And I was like, I really like this house and like the spot... I'm not crazy about the neighborhood it's in, but I like this spot. It's like nice and shady and they have some great grass here. And then the driveway goes back and there's this big like garage that's, I would say, almost like half a barn. And I'm looking at this house like the first day and I came back. And what I did, this is the part that I'm sharing that's authentic is I came back and I kind of fantasize about the house. Like, hmm, it'd be kind of cool if I lived in that house. And just kind of thinking about what it'd be like to live in that house. And first thing I thought was, well, there's not a gate um, <laughs> tall, tall enough. There's not a gate tall enough around it for the dog to be in the front yard. Like I'm, I go deep into these fantasies, you know, because it's a fantasy. If you're not going to go deep. Why the fuck have it? Right. Sure. So I go back there. Like I don't go there every day because I don't want to creep people out going to the same route every day. They think I'm casing their homes. So I always sure. go different routes every day. So about a week, week and a half later, I happen to be on that route again. And I walk over and I'm checking out the house and I realize, oh shit, there is a gate around the whole house. I was just like so busy looking at the house, I didn't notice it. So now I come back and I'm thinking about that house. I'm like, that problem solved. And now I'm thinking, that that garage in the back, hmm, that would be really awesome to convert that into a podcast studio. Hmm. Slash, you know, like band room, you know, like have a drum set and instruments and a piano in there. And I was like, Oh, and then I, this is a big house for me and Latte to live in alone. So maybe Lamb and Tom and I could live in there together. And we, <laughs> like, it's this weird, like, thing, but like, what the, that's what got me into like the wanting to have, you know, these fantasies, they're, they're these ridiculous things. And they should be, you should be allowed to have ridiculous fantasies because they also lead you to certain things. And what that led me to was the idea that, like, oh, if we had a, a studio that we could go to, then other things can happen there. You know, like, okay, so take that idea of us living in that house, right? We're inside watching TV. It's Tuesday. Normally, we don't record on Tuesday, but we're bored. There's nothing good on TV. Like, you guys want to go record a podcast? Sure. We just walk over to the garage, record a podcast. Maybe a guest comes over and we go, hey, you want to do an episode since he's here? Yeah, let's go do an episode. All these little things. And that's the th- the beauty of that physical place is that you know, aside from that Victorian house and all that, that things like that can happen. More spontaneity can happen because there's a location for it to happen. Yeah, I, I will tell you now. Um, 
So I just had dinner with my friend Julie last night, the, the person I'm, I'm doing the, uh, Julie Matthews, the person I'm doing all the music stuff with. And that was one of our biggest frustrations is that we don't have a space to work in. And so what we're doing now is similar to what we're doing with the podcast, actually. We're sending bits and pieces back and forth to each other. And sure, some magic can come out of that, but there's definitely an element of presence that's very much missing. Like when we're together, there's an energy that allows us to create really easily. And sure, we have that apart as well, but it's way slower and not nearly as in-depth um, when we're not in the same room. Well, I think one of the things that's that's about doing things remotely that people don't take into account is when you do something remotely, it's you can ignore it until a certain point. But when you're face-to-face with somebody... It's now. Yeah, sure. It's like, oh, you need to come up with a piano part now. Yeah, there's because an, there's an well, there's an immediacy and an energy to that that's really unique. Yes, exactly. And I feel like that that's the same thing that like conversations, right? You know, like now it's happening now. You know, like with this idea of like uh, being able to reach across the table, like now. You know, sometimes we can space out. I'm, I know, I look around the room when I'm recording this because I don't want to just stare at the screen of the computer. So I, I space in and out. But like, if the person's there, it's very different. And it changes the, the dynamic. Or, you know, imagine we're recording an episode and uh, you just start playing the piano in the middle of the episode. And it's in the background. <laughs> you know what that makes me think of? Uh, you, variety shows? Do you remember Spaceballs? Mm-hmm. What's happening now is happening now. What happened to then? When? Now? When will then be now? <laughs> soon? How soon? <laughs> that that line of dialogue from that movie has always just stayed in my head for some reason. Desperately seeking space balls. Oh, I love it. What happened to then? When? Now? When will then be now? Soon. How soon. soon. <laughs> so good. That's like a who's on first thing. But now all of a sudden, all these 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 lines from Spaceballs are like coursing through my head. Like, remember, there's one line in particular that always cracks me up, which is, "What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken?" <laughs> I don't know why it makes you laugh. So hard. My it's favorite. So stupid. The, the thing about Mel Brooks movies is, you know, it's kind of like that fantasy thing. There's it's stupid, but it, it works because it is. Yeah, you know, like. And the shit that sticks with you from Mel Brooks movies is not always, you know, like it's not the best line, but like one of my space ball lines is always like, why didn't anybody tell me my ass was this big? <laughs> it's not even, I mean, it's funny in the context of that scene, but it's really not funny to quote. Or, or another one. Like, what are you talking about? Huh? She doesn't look Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. Oh, it's or, so or Prince or Prince Volume, you know, when, when they run off, it's like, come back. <laughs> yeah, you're like things I can't quote, but people who know the movie well enough, oh, totally, totally. I can trigger them to, to think of the scene. And see, that's the type of stuff that can happen with more being in the moment, you know, like getting lost. Like, well, we just went on a little tangent on Spaceballs. Great. That just makes things more interesting. And it's, I don't want, I don't want to keep going down this road of like authenticity and just fucking, you know, screw the fuck out of it until it just becomes like a skeleton. But (laughs) how'd you like that metaphor? That's a weird metaphor, man. I'm not sure where you're going with that. I don't know. It kind of, it kind of eventually segues into the Murakami conversation I want to have with you. Oh yeah. Let's just go there now. (laughs) 
again. Corpse, left turn. Yeah, you screw the fuck out of something until it's a skeleton. I don't. Yeah. I have no idea how that happens. That's like some anime stuff, dude. Left, not left of Albuquerque. He's wow. left of the yeah, left I'm of not, the the corpse. The defiled that's, that's corpse. a Lynchian. That's a very Lynchian description of something. It reminds me of that scene in Lost Highway when that when his when um the head opens up on that guy. I have to admit, I need to watch that movie again. You mentioned it a lot. And I don't remember the movie well enough to ever be like, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I mean, to be real with you, though, I, I was only a passing Lynch fan until Lost Highway. And it wasn't even Lynch that and, or the movie itself that got me into that movie. It was um, uh, the soundtrack with Trent Reznor on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that fuck was the song. Was it Burn? No. Burn uh, was Perfect it. Drug. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that was my favorite Nine Inch Nails song forever. I love that song. It's a great song. Anyways, Murakami, Murakami. I we texted about this earlier, and we wanted to talk about this. You are go for it. I what? That's a weird I, segue. What? You are <laughs> blank. You are blank. I am concussed and reading Wind Up Bird Chronicle, which is the weirdest possible experience. Um, so I've read Wind Up Bird Chronicle probably I don't know maybe twice now, but I haven't read it in a really long time. Um, I've had a bunch of Murakami books in between. Um, the last of which was 1Q84, which I still am not a huge fan of um, because I feel like, you know, and I was talking to to Jen, the girl I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out with now um, about it. And she says that, that 1Q84 is one of those books where you have to have read the entirety of Murakami's library to really appreciate that book for what it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I have. I've only read three, um, Sputnik, um, Kafka on the Shore and uh, Wind Up Bird are the three that I've read. And 1Q84 has a lot of weird nods, apparently, that I'm not aware of. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of the, 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 the magic of that book is lost on me because of that. It's also really, really long. Mm. So it was a brutal slugfest to get through. And it wasn't his best writing-wise either. Um, I feel like he tried to, to be a little too Proust in it. Um, but also gave himself the Murakami twist. And I think he tried too hard. I don't think he, in- he intentionally did that. He might've just been reading a whole hell of a lot of Proust at the time, but it definitely felt very back to the auth- stupid authenticity thing. Again, it didn't feel very authentically Murakami. Well, it's also, it's also hard to judge because we don't know if that was him or if that was a translator. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. That's, that's the one of the difficult things, which I, I can't wait until they invent a thing where we can, you know, like Star Trek, where you can just hear every language in whatever language you speak. You know, like uh, somebody speaking Chinese to you, but you hear it in English. Sure, um, like a universal translator. Yeah, and to be able to have that for reading too, that you can literally... Uh, I guess it wouldn't work that way, so that I take that back. It would be something different because that's translation. I wish there was a way that it may be more like The Matrix where you can just be like, insert disc for... I speak Chinese. Well, I speak Chinese now. Cool. I can also read Chinese and I'm going to read Lipo in original Chinese. Yeah, uh, sure. Because uh, we don't know. Like Murakami, like God knows, he might be like five times more eloquent in Japanese than we even have a fucking clue. And we like him now. Or a whole lot worse. Um, That's true. Maybe he's boring. To Japanese. give you some, To give you some perspective on that. So I love Dostoevsky. I mean, so much so that I haven't tattooed on my chest. But... I've read three different translations of Crime and Punishment, and they've all been really different. Oh, yeah. Like, um, the same with going back to Proust. Um, I actually, I'm a, it's, it's, um, I think it's from the Gutenberg, not Steve, for anybody that remembers Short Circuit. Um, 
the Gutenberg, what is that called? The Gutenberg Project, where they have all those classic books. Oh for yeah, free. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. So, so like when you have your Apple Books or you have your Kindle, you go in. There's those books are free. They're all coming from the same place, both Apple and uh, and Amazon and probably Nook and um, Cranny. Um, <laughs> I'm still stuck uh, on Gutenberg. I love that word, Gutenberg. I know. Gutenberg. So, it sounds like food. Like, mm, what do you have in uh, fig Gutenberg? Um, sounds like a museum to me. Can, you want to go to the Gutenberg? Oh yeah, the Gutenberg Museum. Yeah, that's that's where they have the 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 relics from Short Circuit and uh, Three Men and a Little Lady. Some uh, hip some hipster out there is going to make a restaurant called Gutenbergers. I'll go there. I would go there too. Yeah, I wonder. What, I wonder what they would serve. Shorts, all all Gutenberg themed stuff would be amazing. Yeah, they'd serve three men and a little lady. Oh, um, weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, where the fuck did we start? You are on fire. Well, no, I was you. You prompted me to start talking about. My oh, I remember now. Wind up bird, but yeah, carry on. I remember now. Okay, so anyways, back to the project non non Steve Gutenberg. Um, all they're the free classics. So there is a version of Proust. I think it's uh, books one through four. And I don't know who translated it because this is free one and I never paid attention. I think that's a pretty decent translation. But I bought um, Lydia Davis, which is Paul Auster's wife, her translation of Swan's Way, which is book one of Proust. I haven't read it yet, but from what I heard, her translation is outstanding. Huh. So, so I, I'm, I'm like to me, I'm like I, I, in a way, I'm kind of afraid to read it because like the, the free one was really good for me. <laughs> what if this one makes the free one sound like shit? <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, now I definitely want to read it. Uh, is it Swan's Way or Swain's Way? Swan, S W A. I think double N. Yeah, A N N. Yeah. Because I'm I'm rereading the the Gutenberg version that you're talking about, the classics version, and I'm really mm-hmm. curious to hear her translation of it. Yeah. Um, now, now you got me worried. I'm like, what if it is Swain's way, and I've been wrong? I mean, I could, I don't know. I mean, at this point, who cares? It's in French anyway, so I'm sure we have it wrong. Okay, it is Swan way. with two ends. Okay. You think that guy's still alive? Um, I'm not looking that up because I don't want to know. It would be really depressing if he was not. He's got to be. He kind of looks the same. Um, yep, still alive. <laughs> no conversation <laughs> happened in that span of whatever the hell you were doing. Yeah, I that literally was, have no idea what just happened right that now. Was, that was like a little hiccup in the middle of, a, of the conversation. Back to Murakami. Do you have any other insights into the book? Tell me more. So Murakami is an interesting experience regardless of when you read it. Um, but I feel like Murakami is one of those writers where... where your state of mind definitely affects how you process the information from his books because there's a lot of just, you know, imagery and analogies and and alternate realities and just all kinds of stuff. And I feel like in my concussed state, because I'm reading so slowly and my, my cognitive functions are not quite what they normally are, I feel like I get lost more in it, um, which is which is weird for me because Murakami is in, in, engulfing in its own way already. But having the slow cognitive function definitely makes me daydream about what I'm reading a lot more actively. And that's really, really interesting. Um, especially certain things like hunting yourself down or, or, or hiding in a well or, or, or you know, 
just the weird things like that. Like I imagine sitting on, on my back patio, looking out at an abandoned house and seeing billions of stray cats, you know? And, and so I feel like I, I don't suggest this obviously, because I don't, I don't want anyone to get a concussion in order to read Murakami, but it's definitely an experience that is different if you take it differently. I almost want to try to read Murakami, wind up bird again. Um, when I'm very, very tired, just to see what if the exhaustion itself affects my experience with it. And so that made me kind of go through and rethink a lot of the stuff that I've read. Um, you know, like just mentioning Crime and Punishment and thinking about it from... I haven't read Crime and Punishment in probably 15 years. Um, but when I was reading it, I, I read it quite a bit. Like I think I've read it a total of five times. Um, but I, I wonder with my political slant now and with my my views on justice and and humanity if i read it now if my experience on it would be entirely different yeah it goes back to what we've talked about before when we talk about um catcher in the rye and how that book just rereading that book every time changes it i'm starting to feel that way about more than just books though too like movies you watch it you know like oh this 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 is strange you know like i don't remember it being like this um actually I just remembered, I just read a book. I didn't reread a book, but um, I read Bukowski's Post Office yesterday. And I've never read it before. I've read a ton of Bukowski before. So in a way, reading Post Office, if anybody's read Bukowski, in a way, all of his books are kind of like the same book in the sense of not the plot, but like they're just so him. They're so full of who he is. That like you're just step the world you're stepping into is not really always the world of the book you're reading. It's the world of Charles Bukowski, the human being, sure. um, the writer. Uh, but yeah, like going through it, and you know, like the last time that I talked about Bukowski, you know, we talked about the poem that I wrote where he's, I have him at the beginning talk about how kind of a piece of shit he was, and some of that totally shows up in this book. But like my interpretation of what that means and all that was very different. Latte just woke up. Um, but yeah, there's some weird stuff in here in, in this one where it's like, you know, like he's dating this woman and she says something and he's like walking in the other room and he says, it's hard to hit a woman with gray hair. And I was like, Ooh, that's, that's a rough, that's a rough line. Jeez. And it's just, just things like that. Like, thinking about like reading Murakami when I was 20 before like you know I had evolved as a human being I say Murakami reading Bukowski as as like a 20 year old man you know realizing to some degree that the guy was kind of a dirt bag but like not really being sharp enough yet to catch things like that like what does that mean you sure. know like things like that when you're younger just kind of pass but now as like a 41 year old man I read that line and I'm like ugh that's gross. Yeah, that's you know, harsh. like, or like, there's, there's, there's a lot. I, I have, I wrote this actually. I wrote this journal article, journal article, this journal entry. Uh, you know, I told you I've been journaling after I read books, and I, when I finished it, I'm like, oh, this one seems like one that I can share. There's a lot of them are very personal. Nobody would want to read it. It's just about my experience reading the book. But that one was very much struggling with that part of who Bukowski is when you read Bukowski. I think I might put that one on my Patreon just because I think that that's one people might want to actually read. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like experiencing that difference where you're like, 
I'm not sure how I feel about this person anymore because I'm not the person that I was when I read this before. Sure. You know, like, you and, know, like it, and especially with someone like Bukowski too, that strikes a very particular chord in your personality at a very particular time in your life too. Right. And, and he said, it's, he's, I don't want to cut into all the stuff that I talk about in there, but the thing that's very difficult about him is most of his writing has a humorous tone to it. So I think when you're younger, it's very easy not to take those lines seriously. But as you get older, you're like, mm, I'm not sure that even joking about that's funny anymore. Sure. So it's, I shouldn't say anymore. Maybe, you know, it's, it bears saying it never was funny. But now I'm mature enough to realize that. Whereas before, I just didn't, you know, whatever. Like, like uh, with um, Catcher in the Rye. Like when you read it as a kid, there's so much in there. You're like, I don't get all that stuff. I haven't lived enough to understand all that shit yet. And Murakami strikes me as someone, the more you live, the more you're going to get out of those books because they're so fucking weird. <laughs> well, beyond that too, there's, there's, there's a cultural disconnect that I think doesn't serve us well when it comes to reading Murakami. Like I know there, I, I definitely want to understand more about Japanese culture <laughs> In order to really get some of the the, the, the deeper and longer twisting uh, metaphors and analogies that he uses, um, but I mean, I you know, you can do what you can do, right? Like it just is what it is. Um, and I think I think you're definitely right. I think age definitely plays a big part in how you understand works of literature like that. But I, I definitely think the cultural component is really strong as well. Yeah, with, especially with Murakami because. Uh, we, I think we talked about this a long time ago, but like there's people have told me that there are things in Wind Up Bird that are that insinuate like an emasculation mm-hmm. that as Americans we don't get. Sure. Because it's specifically tied to Japanese um, ideas of masculinity. Mm. I see what you mean. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have a specific example that I can pull from from that, but I've I've heard that criticism as well. Well, not criticism. It's just the 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 the, the lack of understanding from certain readers. Like I know I miss a lot with Murakami, and I, I'm not even sure how I could gain that perspective without engulfing myself or, or diving deep into Japanese culture and really understanding that. Yeah, sorry, I'm trying to take a picture with Latte right now. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I was I was completely listening to you, but the microphone was not in front of my mouth. I'm trying to take a picture of him podcasting. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, well, let's take a second, everybody, for, for Chad to gather a latte onto his lap and put him in front of a microphone with some headphones on because he definitely has to have headphones on. Oh, now would, you said that I'm fucked. <laughs> I, I, would, I would really like for you to dress him the same as you one day and take a picture of the two of you. Um, that's possible. We both have no. We don't have matching Superman shirts. <laughs> wow! Somebody gave me a Superman shirt. You know I don't like Superman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a douche. Oh, Man, okay. we could do this later. We could do this later. <laughs> Unless everybody would like me to continue, you know, we can have a poll on that. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw it under. Please throw that picture on Instagram. I would really like to see that picture. I got to I got to take it afterwards otherwise we won't be able to finish this episode. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Okay, so anything I got two I don't know which of these I should do. Okay, so one thing I was watching the other day, have you ever seen there's a documentary called The Mirage Men? 
I have no idea what that is. It's first of all, it's not a great documentary, and I would almost say the first half of it is the most valuable half of it. Um, so, the Mirage Men is essentially about these guys who say that they worked for the government and their job was to create disinformation regarding the UFO community. And in specific, um, that they're saying that there may not necessarily have been any UFOs at all, or obviously there are UFOs. That's just unidentified objects, but any extraterrestrials. But what people were seeing were highly classified programs and they allowed this UFO phenomena to just kind of burgeon in what it did because it was a great smokescreen. Mm. It's very interesting. The reason I say that the first half is better than the second half is because what I just described is the first half. The second half gets really muddy and it kind of starts focusing on the UFO community itself. But because they made that those statements at the beginning... What they talk about at the end, you're like, but if that's not real, then why the fuck are we talking about it? So it just gets really messy near the end where I was like, I'm not sure. I think you guys lost the thread. But one of the things that was really that was really fascinating to me about it, there was this guy by the name of Paul Benowitz. And Paul Benowitz was a veteran and he was a very patriotic guy. And this other guy who worked for one of the Mirage men, his name was Doty. I don't have his first name. Doty. His job was to kind of lead this guy down the wrong path. Unfortunately, this guy got so immersed in it and so into the lies that this guy was feeding him that like basically like his family like checked him into like a a facility. Wow. To try to like and like at one point, this this Doty guy says, you know, the, if when somebody's telling you that they've they've done these spectacular things or crazy things, and one of those things is that they were a professional liar, it's kind of hard to believe anything sure. that they say. But he says that at one point he started feeling bad for him and told the guy, like, I'm lying to you. I've always been lying to you, and this is all it's all a sham. None of this is true. And the guy, Paul, said, basically, I don't believe you. That all of, all of this, I know this is all related to the, the UFOs. And that you're just, this is you covering up now. This is, you know, like, and I just thought, like, not specifically, I don't want to talk about the, the extraterrestrials, any of that. But what I want to talk about is this idea of, say that's true. Isn't it strange that you can lead somebody down the wrong path and that when you tell them it was the wrong path, that they choose to prefer or they prefer and choose to believe the lie? They don't want to let go of the lie because who knows, you know, like maybe their whole world will fall apart because they've based their whole world around the lie. Mm. And now that the truth is like they can't. They can't go, oh, fuck, you, you duped me. They don't want to feel they were duped, so they have to believe the lie. That's fascinating. And it's very, it's very human and very common, I would say. Well, how much do you think that applies to how we see ourselves in our own lives? 
I think it applies completely. I mean, it goes back to what you were saying before, you know, about like people um, asking people what they think of you and it's being colored by that. Sure. Oh, I see what you mean now. That makes that makes that statement make a lot more sense to me. You know, they could we, there are continually there are lies in our lives. Some that we choose to believe because we have to. Some we choose to believe because we want to, and some we believe just because we don't know their lies. Hmm. You know, like when it, when it comes to government stuff, if you came up with a crazy theory about something stupid or crooked that the government did, almost everybody would believe you. Almost everybody, because that's kind of that's a thing we've just come to believe. Where we're like, oh, the, lo- the government lies to us. But if I told you about that, um, you know, about your mom, you wouldn't believe me. Even at if least I, was, I would have a hard time believing you. I have trouble believing you'd ever be able to believe me. You mm. know what I mean? Like if I didn't have proof. Like oh sure. Video, well, yeah. Videotape. If I just said, you know, like, uh, uh, not that I'm picking on your mom or anything. I don't even know your mom. Um, but I want to pick somebody that you've known your whole life that you're very close to. You say, say, you know, this it has been lying to you all along. I don't think you'd ever believe me. You want to believe your mom more than me, right? Even if it's not true. Yeah, I would want to. Sure. Because what would that do to you? Who would you be if you believe that? That's mm. a scary question, right? That is a scary question. Makes me makes me want to question myself though and my idea of, of truth in that sense. Yeah. Right? Like what wait, okay. Um actually I watched this other documentary last night called Missing Mom. And it's about these two guys that like their mom disappeared when they were kids. And um I don't know why no one ever thought that she was dead. Because when I thought I started watching the documentary, that's what I thought it was about. Um but they, one of them happens to be a documentary filmmaker. So they just they go up to Canada and they start looking for her and they find her at the end of the movie. And the thing about it is, so they, they'd heard all these stories like, oh, she left because of this and this happened and this happened. You know, like uh, the, both of the men had different dads. So, you know, this dad said this one, this dad said that. And then their, their grandfather, their mother's dad said this. And all these things about why she left. Like there wasn't enough food in the house for the boys. So her grandparents took the, the boys away from her. And so she, she left because she was on drugs or whatever. And then they interview her at the end of the movie and they kind of like, not be mean, but they're like, obviously they, they told her they're going to do this before they recorded it. But like, we heard this one story and we heard this story. And she's like, just kind of like sitting there. She's like, I don't remember that at all. She, not like that didn't happen. Like literally like, I don't remember that at all. And what I was thinking when I was watching this is, it's first of all, it's hard to tell whether the woman's telling the truth or not. Would she ever admit the truth? I don't know. But what is it like for those guys? You know, they finally, they've all, all their life, they didn't have their mother. They have their mother back in their life. But there's these stories that they'll never know if they're true or they're not true. That's super weird. Right? It's just like, I don't know where to go with this topic, but it's just something I thought I should bring up. Like, it just seems like that, that idea of like truth that we take for granted. Well, it kind of goes to something I've been kind of working on for myself too, which is I'm, I'm obsessed with cognitive behavioral therapy. I know we've talked about this a little bit on the show too, as well. Um, but how you frame your reality and what things go into that framing process and how that would completely shatter the framework of your reality. 
know what mm. I mean? Like everything, you'd have to reconvince yourself of certain things. It's like all of a sudden waking up tomorrow morning and then finding out that two plus two doesn't equal four anymore. Like what the hell would you do? You'd have to fundamentally change what your ideas are of the world. Right. Yeah. We get, we get shit all the time for making assumptions, you know, like uh, biases and all these things that we, that we have that taken to the extreme are bad, right? You know, they're detrimental to society, they're detrimental to the people in our lives. But at the same time, we cannot function as human beings without assumptions, without assumptions. Sure. I can't go through every day questioning whether an object is actually there or not. I oh, have to be, just that'd assume be, that'd it's be ex- that'd be exhausting. <laughs> but the day but you know, like the, the not to, to go metaphysical with this, let's go realistically. The day you go to sit down and you miss the chair is oh, the day that you start to question what's underneath your ass, right? Every time you sit down, now you have to look and make sure the chair is there because that assumption was questioned. That is a hell of a sentence, by the way. That assumption was questioned? No, that you, one day you sit down and there's nothing beneath your ass. Yeah, you need something under your ass. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I'm thinking about what I, how I would feel in that moment and how completely confused like just totally befuddled i would be because you know it can you the word confusion i don't think really speaks to how different the levels of severity are when it comes to confusion and bewilderment you know you can be confused about little things but then you can be confused about big things in a very different way um and i think i think describing them in in such a blanket way doesn't do the confusion itself justice right and I know that sounds, that's a weird sentence to say, but I, I definitely feel like there are certain things that make you question who you are as a person or the reality that you live in. And I think those are, I, I think you can do that by choice sometimes too. And I think it's actually good to do that by choice sometimes. But every once in a while, you're placed in a situation where it isn't a choice. And now what the hell do you do? Right. Well, that's the whole basis of military training, right? They train things so that they happen automatically. So that you, when you're in a war zone and all these things are exploding and bullets are going, you can operate on assumptions. Sure. You can operate on the assumption that that guy's there and that guy's there and that guy's there and that this gun's here and that the bullet's here and then I can fire it here and that my body's going to do this. And if this guy attacks me, I got this move. You operate on all those assumptions. But taken, taken of those assumptions, you, you, yeah, you know, it's, it's it's literally like the wily e. coyote, you know, when he runs off the cliff. The ground's not there anymore. And there's just this second where you go, oh shit. And I think that's the problem that a lot of atheists have when they talk to religious people and try to convince religious people that religion is bullshit, is they don't understand that they're talking to someone whose whole life is based on the principle that it's not. Sure. And nobody's going to let you pull the rug out from under them. Because they, nobody wants to be left floating in the air like that fucking coyote. Nobody God. wants to. I mean, how would you? you I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm thinking about it from the other side of the the equation, right? Like, if all of a sudden there was empirical evidence that there was a god, what would I do? Right. We have I would to, freak out. I'd have to change everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you, and what do we do? We chose not. To, we choose not to think about that, right? Sure. Of course. Because and so and the way we choose not to uh, think about that is we entrench ourselves more in our own beliefs. Sure, of course, and which is inherently the problem with how the world works now. But sure, yeah, 
with everybody. And I, this isn't even about polarization, uh, pol- political polarization or anything. This is just normal, average, everyday people. There are people who operate on the assumption that an apple is better than an orange, and that's always going to be true. And it doesn't come up to be a problem very often, but every once in a while, I bet you someone gets in a fight in a grocery store about apple versus orange. Apples are better. Yeah, I agree. Until you, <laughs> until you eat an orange after you haven't had one for a while and you go, fuck, I forgot how good these things are. I did that like maybe like six months ago. Somebody gave me an orange and I was like, nah, pulp and shit like that. And then I put it in my mouth and it was just like, maybe it was hot. And it was just like, I was like, holy shit. Oranges are incredible. Well, let's let's also let's also be clear too. There are many different kinds of apples, and there are some types of apples that are definitely not superior to oranges. Yes, red delicious is not superior to anything. Yeah, red delicious is neither delicious nor really red most of the time. Yeah, it should be called mealy shit. <laughs> I don't think they'd sell many that way though. Yeah. Can you imagine mealy shit for four dollars yeah. a pound? <laughs> School lunch today, uh, we, we are offering macaroni and cheese, ham, and mealy shit. Tater tots and mealy shit. One mealy shit for One every child. Mm, is this a mealy shit pie? Dollar quarter, mm. dollar and a quarter for the mealy shit upgrade. Extra flaky crust, fantastic flaky crust on this mealy shit pie. <laughs> mealy shit on the mode, yes. Uh, home run pie, mealy shit flavored. <laughs> Uh, everybody is, hungry? Yeah, everybody hungry for some mealy shit. I uh, wish I had an apple right now that I could bite into. <laughs> yeah, I was I was actually I had the same impulse. I was looking around my room to see if there was something I could use to like mimic that. <laughs> oh man. All I have is dried fish, and I don't know if that would make the same sound. I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> That is, that is possibly the most Asian thing you've ever said on this I was literally going to say that was the most Asian thing I've ever said on this podcast. But I will tell you now, <laughs> dried ass fish, I will tell you. I could eat this whole bag. It's like three pounds worth of dried mackerel. That's the ones with the heads on it still? Absolutely. There's no other way. Little dehydrated eyes looking at you going, uh-huh. I'm sorry 100%. for being alive. Yep. I'm also that guy that will eat the little ducklings. The balut. I'm like, what? What? No, 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 no. I don't just go around and eat ducklings, dude. <laughs> it's like a tyrannosaurus. Oh, that's like, so terrifying. That's like a Japan Japanimation thing where all of a sudden you're like Tyrannosaurus mode. Eat ducklings. <laughs> I, will, I will now attempt to do a video at some point. Like I, I this is a weird claim to fame I have. That speaking of sharing things that I would never share, I'm really good at mimicking the movements of a dinosaur. Oh, we, we need to see that. That's specifically, kind of... specifically something of the Velociraptor or uh, the, the raptor family because I can mimic reptilian bird movements really well. I don't know why. Um, but it's a weird claim to fame. I even have a face that goes along with it. I imagine so I, will, I will take a picture. Similar. Is it Actually, similar to the movements of Hunter S. Thompson? Uh, less smuggy, but kind of. Um, I imagine more, more, more hands to the body kind of thing. I will do a video of it and post it on the Instagram. Okay. That's going to be great. You'll you'll give it to the interns to post it. Yeah, I'll give it to the aliens to post it. The alien alien intern that we have. Man, he's he likes Mountain Dew. I'll give him that. Yeah, he told us never to tell his name, though. Yeah, and we'll keep that a secret. I can't really pronounce it anyways. Yeah. What's the... um, 
it's like pronouncing Cthulhu. Like that's not really the way you're supposed to pronounce Cthulhu, but that's the best a human tongue can do. Yeah, and Cthulhu has more vowels than his name does. Yeah, true. That mushroom, uh, I don't even know the mushroom's name. I just call him Sombrero. I got to get back into, uh, I got to get back into Lovecraft speaking of. I see, and I've never read Lovecraft, so. Really? Mm-mm. It's one of those things that just, I never had the occasion to do it. Hmm. I might be doing that soon. I've been, that reading thing we talked about before, like dipping into books, I've been really having fun doing that because I just, I've been ripping through more books than I thought I would finish. But just still like there are like five or six other books where I'm like, I dipped into that one for a little while. We'll go back to that later. It's really freeing. What's the latest dip you've done? Dippity doo da. Dippity doo, uh, non-finished. You mean just like dipped in, you know, like um, just stopped in for an afternoon delight? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. I'm opening what does that, that even mean? Afternoon delight is a sex metaphor. Okay. I did not know that. It's also a candy. That entirely changes so many things for me. But yeah, carry on. Now I get a few more jokes that I didn't get throughout the course of my life. <laughs> Damn it. Um, let's see. Sorry. Trying to find the right app. Too many book apps on my fucking phone. I'm trying to work my way through all... The, I told you I wasn't going to buy from Amazon anymore. Mm-hmm. But I have all of these books from Audible and Kindle that I've bought that I've never read. So I'm like, well, I won't... I'm not going to buy for them anymore, but I'm sure as hell going to read the ones that I already gave them money for. Um, one book that I dipped into that I'm actually enjoying doing it dipping because I don't... I feel like if I read this all in one shot, it would actually be a detriment to the book. But it's uh, Oliver Sacks, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Huh. Have you heard of that? No. So he was, um, he was a neurologist. And it's it's literally about strange um, brain disorders. The first story is a guy who, ironically, um, something Tom and I talked about on Monday, face blindness. He suffered from face blindness, but he also had other neurological issues. Like um, at one point, Sachs hands him a glove and he says, what is this? And the guy looks at it and describes all of it. He says, you know, it's got sides like this and blah, blah, blah. He says, I believe it's a container for something. And it's not that he doesn't know what a glove is, but he's not able to make the connection between the physical properties and what the thing is. Huh. So he can't say it's a glove because he can't connect those. And it's the same thing with um, that. Some that's what face blindness is. Like you can describe someone, but you can't connect it with who that person is. So that that recognition, that leap to recognition, is broken. What's that called? Facial aphasia? Is that the name of it? Uh, I'm not positive. He doesn't use the term in there that I remember. Okay. Or if he did, maybe it just went past me because I'd never heard it before. But yeah, the, the reason it's called the, the man who mistook his wife for a hat was during one of the things when they were leaving, um, the man went over... This is hard to describe but because I didn't see it. The man goes over to his wife and I guess he tried to like put her on his head. What the hell? Because he... This took her for a hat. Sounds so fucking nuts. But Dude, I have like, so many questions. What the hell? But we're literally talking about these crazy mental disorders. Mm-hmm. like, Or like he would... There are people... Actually, this might be another patient in the same chapter. But someone could tell you what someone looked like. 
is I could look at a picture of someone and say, oh, they have eyes that are blue and, you know, just completely describe the person, but not be able to connect who the person is. And it could be like their wife or their mother. But then there are certain cases where if someone has a weird facial deformity or something Mm -hmm. like like a huge fucking mole, the person learned, the person who suffered from this learned to recognize that person just by that one feature. Weird. So they're not recognizing their face. They're just going up and going, big mole. Oh, that's Tom. Oh, not Tom. That's a bad name to choose. <laughs> that's why Tom has a beard. No. Um, the, you know, like, oh, that's that's my brother Jim. He's got the big mole. And then, uh, let's see, big, big nerdy glasses. Hey, Susan. You know, like, he learned to recognize people just by one thing. Sure. So fascinating because every... Every chapter is a different case. So it's like a different disorder. Mm-hmm. So I, I've just been like every once in a while, like dip in and just listen to one chapter and be like, whoa. Like the second chapter is about this this dude that he's like an old guy with gray hair, but he thinks he's in his 20s. And he thinks it's 1945. That's so strange. Yeah. Very strange. Wow. Really cool book though. Man, this has been a weird one like this has been a very questioning reality kind of episode like i wonder because i I actually know someone with someone with facial aphasia and she says that she recognizes people by the gait of their walk um Mm -hmm. or their or their typical posture or stance and i didn't realize how so I, i tried to see the world through her eyes for like a week and it was really interesting to 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 see how different people's walks are yeah what's extraordinary about these people especially people suffering from that um, face blindness is that how resilient they are. You know, like they learn to adapt and learn to, you know, like uh, she learned to recognize by people by the way they walk. This guy learned to recognize some people by big facial features. You know, if they had, didn't have any distinguishing facial features, he was fucked. He didn't know the hell they were. But sure. like how they could adapt to this stuff and like live a life. Pretty incredible. Yeah, that is pretty incredible. And and to as to this episode, I think this is just the way the episodes are when we're more ourselves. We just kind of bounce around where the fuck we want. Well, yeah, this is this feels just like a normal conversation between you and I. Yeah, well, you know what? Part of it too is what I did was I stopped. I, I put like two or three things just in case. You know, like oh, if we get to a point where we don't have anything to talk about, I'll just grab that. Sure. Instead of coming in like I was before, like, okay, I got six things. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. And just like kind of like veering. I am fascinated by the idea of facial aphasia though. Like I wonder what 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 it looks like instead. Yeah, don't um I don't think it looks any different. It looks the same. It's just hard to it's hard for us to conceptualize this. It looks the same. It just doesn't register. That's so weird. You know, like they're not, it's not that, like I said, he could look at the pictures and tell you every feature on the person's face. He just couldn't make the next leap. You know, like it, it's not too crazy because recognizing a person mm-hmm. is not deductive. That's not deductive reasoning. Sure. There's, there's a leap there. And for people who don't, don't understand what deductive reasoning is, deductive reasoning means everything if you follow step by step you get to the answer you know like this this is true this is true this is true this is true therefore this is true sure whereas inductive reasoning means you have to make a logical leap 
You know, like, this is true, this is true, this is true. That probably means this. And you have mm-hmm. to make that jump. And recognition is an inductive thing. You know, it, it happens in a millisecond for us because it's built into who we are. But that's what the brain's doing is going evidence, 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 leap. True. Now, now if you mm-hmm. put a wall there and <laughs> there's nowhere to, you can't leap through the wall. So you go evidence, evidence, evidence. I don't know. So strange. Yeah. Glad I don't have that. Also, don't, I've mentioned this movie with Tom on Monday. And I think it's called Face or Faces in the Crowd. Don't watch that movie. That is about facial aphasia, but it's awful. Oh, good to know. It's a, it's a, the reason I brought it up to Tom is it, it's a movie that um, goes the whole time without a narrator and then gives you a narrator to end the movie. Oh, why? I hate it when movies do that. <laughs> I was talking about... The reason we were talking about that was because I was talking... I'd watched Hateful Eight and mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino comes in as a narrator in the middle of the movie. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, how, was, how was the movie otherwise, though? I haven't seen it yet. I like the first half... I'll say that. Okay. Because actually, I, I, I've kind of heard the same criticism. I, I love Quentin Tarantino in general, so I, I feel like I'm going to have to see that at some point. But If you like Westerns, I would say watch it. But the first half will be a good Western. The second half will be, I think Tom described it best, like a person imitating Quentin Tarantino. Oh. Mm. Where it's like so Tarantino that you're like, eh, it's not very good. So how do you feel? How do you feel about him? Him taking over a Star Trek project? Over what? He, you know he's doing a Star Trek project, right? No, I didn't know that. Yep. Well, you're gonna have that's for next episode. Then we have a lot to talk about. That's very curious. Yeah, I'm very curious about that one. I I really would love to see. Apparently, he's a big Star Trek fan. I didn't know that. Um, but an R-rated Star Trek movie. Tune in next week for. <laughs> Exactly. Basically what we, just, we did that the week before too. Unintentionally, I want to assure everybody that we don't plan anything going into these episodes. So that's not intentional at all. Yes, I, I can show you the blank screen in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, challenge time. Challenge time. Oh, actually, before we do challenge time, let's do action items. Do we have action items? Any, anything we promised to do in here? Oh, you said you were going to... Last week, by the way, follow up. You said... Miami, you said you were going to send me music, and you did. Yep. Um, so this one, you said you were going to record a video of you imitating a dinosaur. Oh, man, that's going to be fun. Okay. Anything else you can remember that were action items? Uh, you were going to post the video for, or, or probably share it in the newsletter or wherever for that Muppet thing. Oh, that was just, I was just going to send that to you, actually. Yeah, let's send, can you send it to the world? Everybody needs to see that. I'll put it in show notes for the episode. Okay, there you go. Um, uh, other than that, I can't think of anything. Um, I had one. I forgot it. I was going to look for door latch. Ah, okay. Okay. So, action items listed. Challenge. I am. You were going to read at an open mic. Um, I did not anticipate my work going crazy or getting a concussion that basically knocked me out for a day and a half. So I did not do that. All right. Let's see. When we don't do them, the section goes by so much faster. Yeah. 
<laughs> Our goal now is to not do them and make these sections quicker. Um, my goal was to write 500 words every day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make that noise. I did it twice. Um, I did it once on my iPad. And then I realized how much I hate doing free writing on a computer because I feel pressure for it to be good when I use a computer. Sure. Um, so like two days later, I took out a notebook. And I'm going to try to mix that idea with morning pages when I used to do morning pages mm-hmm. and see if I can just do three pages of free writing every day. That's not my challenge, but I am going to try that. Got it. That makes sense. Um, do you have a new challenge? Um, hmm. I had one, but I don't know if I, I, I don't know if it's feasible. Okay. Uh, well, now you have to tell us even if you don't choose to do it. <laughs> um, I was going to try to complete a song with Julie, uh, complete the song that you heard actually, um, which I'm weirdly proud of. I like, I like your description of it, by the way, you expected it to go a certain direction and I purposefully twisted it um, just to subvert the expectation of what it was going to sound like. And I feel like I achieved that in a way that at least to me is really beautiful. I hate saying stuff like that about my or saying things like that about my own stuff but i love the direction that it went and it felt right to subvert the expectation of where it should have gone mm-hmm. so i want to complete that song um but that one it's the first full project that we're working on so completing it i feel like we have enough bits and pieces to put it together we just have to get in the same room somehow and 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 put it all together but the problem is between her schedule and mine we're we're probably two of the most time crunched humans on the face of planet earth so even getting together to talk about it took herculean efforts in order to pull that off so i want to say that but that's not going to probably work so what i will do instead is this um i will fully cover an 80s song on piano in my own acoustic way cover 80s song and where are you going to put that? I think that's an. I think that's a Patreon thing, dude. I yeah, think. you're you're right. I mean, anything I do, any, anything I do musically should be on Patreon to be to be yes. real. You're going to be alone in a hotel room at least some point this weekend. That's yeah, the time I to am. make the Patreon. I, I what I need to do is to find a way to record these things properly too. Like I have nothing but my iPhone to record them on. They sound like shit. Can I pick Can the I, 80s song? What's that? Can I pick the 80s song? Uh... How about how one. about how about you give me three and I pick one of them? I'm gonna I, I'm I'm just gonna throw one out and you can decide if you want to do it or not. But you <laughs> but you have to go listen to it. Okay, I'll go try it. Sure. What do you got? Okay. The the reason that I'm I'm doing this, I have to I have to pull out my phone and remember what the fuck it's called. Um, the reason I'm doing this is because I did something the other day on Sunday. I listened to a bunch of music, but I decided I was going to listen to a bunch of stuff that I'd never heard, but I'd always heard of. Ah. Um, like, for example, uh, I was like, you know, I know like two Wham songs. I'm like, have I heard more than two Wham songs? Turns out I know like five Wham songs. Um, so I listened to their first two albums, but there's a song on there that was never a popular song as far as I know of. But I was like, wow, that is a very hooky song. And I would be very fascinated since it's like a R&B pop type thing to hear it done in piano form. And it's called A Ray of Sunshine. A Ray of Sunshine. Got it. And it's you know on what? the first album. Fantastic. Screw it. Let's not be afraid. I'll just do it. Okay. 
Um, then I, let me change this to Ray of Sunshine. Wow. I have something to tell you after we stop recording about that song, by the way. Um, but it's personal. Um, oh, that sounds weird. Super, <laughs> it's, but no, it's it, out there, it, so whatever. It's not personal about me. It's just something I don't want the world to know. Um, okay, my challenge this week is an interesting one. I decided the other day to try to write something with my left hand because um, certain certain activities, I'm ambidextrous. Um, so this week, I would like to try to, as often as I can, use my left hand instead of my right hand to do everything. Whoa. Please don't cut things. I don't cut things very often except for the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't use my hands for that. I just put them up in the air and go, look, Ma, no hands. Oh jeez. Um okay, before we before we completely um terrify all of you, quick Patreon update. My Patreon uh I'm up to like 70 posts and I put up three the three remaining technical rambling episodes that I had of um technical ramblings part 2 with Daniel Garcia, David Knight, Colin Francesetto. And I put up some bonus questions that I had asked David Knight and Daniel Garcia. Those are about, I think, 15, 10, 15 minutes each as well. And uh, that's what I put up. So are we going to mention what the Random Badassery Instagram is? Random Badassery? Yeah, I just thought I'd put that up there. (laughs) (laughs) And we're done. (laughs) It'll be in the show notes too. (laughs) Well Well done. Way to grapple that one. Yeah, so I, was, I wanted my. I actually originally my 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 thought for doing a challenge was going to be something completely different than the things that I've done so far. The things I've been doing so far have been super serious, right? Um, and I kind of wanted to do something weird, like make a forest of gummy bears inside of a vat of Jello. You might have to do that. Maybe not this week, but yeah, maybe not this week. But I'm fascinated by the idea of somehow pulling that off. That's why I wanted to do the left-handed thing because I'm I'm I'm. I'm I'm always, I've always been curious, you know, look at Jimi Hendrix, Paul McCartney. Um, I can't think of anybody else right now. <laughs> well, that's two. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of very creative people that were left-handed. Sure. Um, and you know, there's a the whole thing about left, left brain, right brain and all that stuff. So I was curious if using your left hand could help to stimulate creativity, being able to, to do things with your left side could help to stimulate creativity. So I want to learn to be an ambidextrous writer eventually. Interesting. You're going to be the Leonardo da Vinci of our time. I can, I can, I can bat either side, um, which totally could mean something else in different contexts. Um, <laughs> I thought it, and I didn't say it. Usually, that's bat for both teams, not both sides. Though, oh, right? uh, yeah, yeah I guess. It's I don't know what the connotation is, man. I'm, I'm, I'm way less cool than I exude. Um, and I can fairly uh, throw a ball with both hands. Um, baseball better than a football, but I can throw a football with my left hand. So here's a weird one. Um, I play hockey left-handed. Um, I'm left foot dominant. I'm left eye dominant, but I'm right-handed for almost everything else. Interesting. I can shoot a gun with both hands. I can shoot a bow and arrow with both hands too. Ooh, I'd like to be able to do that. First, I have to learn how to do it with the right hand. <laughs> it helps, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and, and uh, yeah, I'm ambidextrous on a skateboard too. Oh, uh, you know, I've never ever in my life learned how to skateboard. 
I never said I was any good at it. I oh, mean, yeah, I, I can't even I do eat it, shit whether my left foot's in front or the right <laughs> foot's in front. But I can at least um, push myself along for a couple cracks on the sidewalk. <laughs> yep, never done it. I, I, I grew up not doing it. I don't know why. I know we're technically ending the episode here, but I do have a short story. <laughs> oh, man. When I lived in Chico in 2000, I decided... I was going to learn how to ride a skateboard. And I was, let's see, so I was 20, like 22 years old. Yep. Um, so I decided at 22, I was going to learn how to ride a skateboard. You know, as you're, as a kid, you play around on skateboards, but like you don't have to learn how to like ride a skateboard. You can just play around on it. So I went and I bought like this, I don't remember, I think it was called a hookup deck, which was the, the brand. Um, I bought this cool fucking skateboard. And I used to work about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minute walk from my house um, to work. I would walk there every day. Well, then I started to ride my skateboard. And I would ride my skateboard every day and I would bail here and there, you know, not anything bad, but you know, like small wheels on a skateboard. That's the era when the wheels were small. I don't know if they still are. And you hit a crack the wrong way and you go one way and the skateboard doesn't go with you. Sure. Um, and then one day, I'm literally crossing the street intersection to my house. I'm like my I'm moving towards my house, so I'm what 99 percent of the way home, and I bailed so hard in the middle of the intersection. I flew, <laughs> I flew probably two feet away from my board, maybe three. Like bailed hard, Jeez. Uh, and I bailed hard where there was cars on, and where there were cars on the street too, right? And after that, I was like, fuck it. And I sold the skateboard and I never tried again. <laughs> That's why you can't learn to do certain things when you get older. Because that logical part of your brain clicks in and goes, nope, that's not happening. <laughs> I love that that was a story of triumph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me over that skateboard, that fucking skateboard. Just 100% defeat. I love it. Ah, uh, and that's how we're going to end it. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thanks for tuning in. Uh, um, actually, did you have anything you wanted to say first? Um, nah, I'm good there. Okay. Bye-bye, babies. Bye. Bye.